0: Mm. Mm-hmm. you. Faith and Fable, pastoral podcast that discusses common and often controversial
1: topics from a biblical perspective. My name is Matt Miller. I'm Matt Henry, and we are back in Systematic Theology 3, dealing with Elders Part 2. So, how is the church to be governed? We've begun to talk about that. Our argument has been that it's done through elder rule, which is different from elder-led. In fact, we actually talked at length, I did, in my Vision and Values class, for new members because um, they were intrigued by that and exactly how does that work. Um, elder rule is not the same as elder led, um, nor do we argue that it was, it's good to go through some type of a hierarchy like bishops or archbishops and so on. Uh, so we gave you a quick history of the idea of elders a lap last episode. And today we're gonna take you through several passages that develop the idea and the imagery of elders. I think it's gonna be two, two episodes on that. Um, so with that, we'll just jump right in. The, the, the term elder and its related terms, so it's important that we just get the vocabulary the Bible uses. That word elder uh, really is formed out of the Old Testament, in, uh, a word named zakein. In the Old Testament, it's a word used uh, throughout the Old Testament, and it's translated as "presbyterus," which is where we get um, Presbyterian or elder in the Septuagint. It just means old. <laughs> I mean, all of that talking to just say, it means old. Uh, a guy named James Keith, uh, in his THM thesis, gives a really nice, helpful survey of the word Uh He says that it's the state of being which follows being young, During this period of prospects for marriage ceases. So you're really past that age of where you're looking to get married. That's out of Ruth. Uh, It's the time when gray hair appears or a failing of sight where the metabolism and mobility slows down, where there becomes a danger of falling. uh, at age 60, seems to separate the mature man from the aged. Uh, They are to be honored, though, and the younger men are to wait for the elders to speak. And and in all of that, it's evident that the old man was one who was respected and trusted in the Jewish community. And out of that select group then, what they apparently would do is select the cream of the crop, so to speak, to be the official elders of the city. And so these were men who were marked by maturity. They've lived life. Um, They were marked by wisdom, and also they were marked by trustworthiness. So that's the Old Testament. Yeah, that's that's it. it. Yeah. In the New Testament— uh, should not be
0: a surprise, then, that the word that's used is presbuteros. Um, this is that word you just mentioned from the Septuagint. It's it's a common word, and it's in its simplest definition, it means old. <laughs> <laughs> or oldest. Or really deep here. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, there are three categories that this word appears, though. Uh, so f- for, first, you have the Jewish elders, Matthew 27. Uh, you then have leaders in the church, 1 Timothy 5. And then... Thirdly, you have beans mentioned 12 times in the book of Revelation, for example, always there as 24 men, Revelation 4.4. Uh, and so we've already discussed the first category and the third um, has no bearing on this study. And so the second category is the only one that we're going to talk about that right. needs comment. So the use of this word indicates one of two things that... Uh, the listener here needs to think through. First of all, it is either referring to age, meaning old, or it's referring to spiritual maturity as its primary thought. And we would hold that it's primarily looking at that second one, at the spiritual maturity of the right, man. Right. Uh, it is not discounting the age, but that would not be the primary focus. So we see passages uh, like 1 Timothy 4.12, which says, uh, "'Let no one look down on your youthfulness.'" Uh, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. So Timothy, this is Paul writing to Timothy, and Timothy here is likely in his 30s uh, and the culture of Asia Minor, like many cultures even today, would put a premium on age. This would include a potential uh, or create potential roadblock to his influence. Um, So, Paul is telling him to go to Ephesus to fix the problems that are there in that church and then appoint elders. Uh, This indicates that he is of sufficient maturity to do that, and he is not to allow the culture to determine how this works. Um, And this is noteworthy because there are always questions in every place uh, the church exists as to how much of the culture should determine the practice of the church. In this case, the older person would be reluctant to take direction from a younger person, uh, which is normal, Um, but Timothy is not to bow to the culture, rather it is to the
1: apostolic instruction. Yeah, yeah. I think that's important, though, to think about because, um, well, in the African church, the older man is very highly respected, and so sometimes people will just default to him and defer to him because he's old. an old man yeah. and and therefore somehow he's wise. And it's like there's a lot of fools out there who are old men and 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 what's important in this passage that we just referenced is that Paul instructs him to go. And so when when he's faced with a cultural question or an apostolic issue, he must default to the apostolic. That's my point. Does that make sense? So it doesn't matter. Even if the culture says, "Yeah, but you're not old enough. You shouldn't be speaking into this." Even if he's going to run into that in Ephesus, he needs to submit to the the teaching of the apostle. I think this even gets into things like the COVID, when you know there's this big question about what's the guy's name up in Alberta, Canada? Canada. Jeremy, I think it is the guy in jail. Yeah, that, that's in pr- in jail, and he, and he ultimately just said, "Look, the the government cannot." become the conscience of the church. And, and we cannot bow to the, the, the state as to whether or not the church gathers. And all sorts of people are arguing both sides to this. And I've stayed out of it on purpose because I don't think I'd be of much help, and yet now I'm in it. Um, but there is apostolic authority behind the gathering of the church. I mean, it's literally commanded not to forsake the assembling together. Um, Well, that's important because in that
0: conversation, we'll just call it a conversation, um, you have a lot of people debating right now saying, hey, this is not really persecution uh, just because he's in jail. This would be true for any business or secular group that chooses to meet against the law. My response would be, except they're commanded to gather because of the name of Christ, and in the name of Christ, yeah, and as a result, yeah. now there is, he's, he's being jailed. So there, there is an aspect in which, yes, this is persecution on account of the name of Christ. He's seeking to be faithful to that apostolic exhortation.
1: Now, on the other side, I, I would say this, that he chose to do that, and so he also has to be, like anyone, if you're going to disobey, you also have to be willing to accept the consequences, Absolutely. right? And so yep. um, the apostles are beaten and said, don't talk about the name of Jesus anymore, and they're like, we must obey God rather than man. They were willing to accept the fact they're going to get beaten and jailed. Um, and I would argue that it's the state's right to do it, even though they're wrong in doing it, if that makes yes. sense. The question, though, is how, in my mind, is how how easy are our churches today in America and apparently Canada are cowtelling to what the governing authorities are saying rather than what is the explicit statements of instruction and commands by by our apostles and our Lord himself so that that's the issue I mean I know a, a church is here in our town that people have not met for over a year they have not come into a church for over a year uh, because you know, mask mandates and everything else. it's like, that's sin. I would argue that's sin.
0: Well, and this is why we like to do these episodes on theology because a good ecclesiology is important um, because a lot of people's argument back is, yeah, they've not met in person for a year, but that is not to deny that they've not met. Um, Meaning... They've met virtually or via Zoom, so they're still fellowshipping these kinds of things.
1: That's just bad ecclesiology. Yeah, that, that that's a failure to even understand the basic meaning of fellowship <laughs> or gather, and that you're <laughs> <or gather laughs> physical yeah. beings. Yeah,
0: so so the the point here, though, with this one is uh, age is not the primary factor when establishing right. elders. Now, let me ask you a question: Do you think that age has no bearing at all?
1: No, I think it does. Um, it's it's a hard one. I I think we I said I said it this way off mic, you know. If you got some, when I went to seminar, I went in in my thirties, but there were some guys that were homeschooled, and they were really good with their grammar too. It was disgusting. <laughs> um, and they came in, and they were like nineteen years old. They had already finished nineteen or twenty years old. They had finished college already because they were like, like clep out of the first two years. Now they're in their seminary, and they're single. They have nothing but time on their hand, so they, they do it in a quick three-year, and they're out. And so all of a sudden, they're 23, 24 years old. Are they qualified to be an elder? They got a degree, but I, I, I was not convinced that they were necessarily qualified yet to be an elder. Um, so they had the training and the skills and stuff like that, but if they got hired on at a church, they would usually, in the Constitution, they would just be an elder, and um, I always walked away with that with a sense of disquiet. Um, so I do think that there is a point where you have to look at their age as a potential roadblock of them. If, if you're a younger man, like how old are you now? 34. 34. So, you know, having people who are older around you helps. Yeah. It, it certainly won't be a hindrance. Sure. Um, and even if, even if they're not qualified to be an elder, um, to be able to have a couple of older guys, like you got some uh, guys who are more older in, up in your campus and that you could pull aside and say, hey, here's kind of where I'm looking and just seek their counsel just from the fact they've lived life, right? Sure. Uh, they might speak into that. Uh, obviously, you have me and John that you can talk to as well. So I don't think it's a primary consideration, but it should be considered because some people just have not yet lived enough that they're... Tested. No, and, and yeah, they're I mean, tested, and, and they haven't yet learned that they're, how application might work in. Sure. So real quick example of that, I had um, a guy, I was in a discipleship group in seminary, and he, this, this is the guy I actually was thinking about. He was like 23, and the question came up, hey, a church I'm looking at taking, they have women's deacons, and I don't know if I agree with women deaconesses. And, and so the guy was just asking from what, all of us, how would you handle that? Well, my position was, look, I wouldn't lose a lot of sleep on that. I would go in there, work within the system in place, and I would really r- wrestle hard with the o- whole idea of deacon, deaconesses. Um, but that's not the hill I would die on. This other guy was 23. He's like, I would make them all resign immediately. I'm like, <laughs> and by the time we were done talking, he was so hardline that the p- professor, who um, Dr. Montoya, he is just a godly man. He'd been pastoring by that time like forty years, um, and he, he's like, "You're not gonna have your church in about two weeks." And his point was, "You're gonna just literally get fired." And the guy's like, "Well, that's okay. I stand for truth." He's like, "No, you don't. You just stand for your opinion." And you're never going to be able to affect change because you're so busy stumbling over everything. He's like, that's, and that was just typical of a young man of not recognizing that everything might have a position, but not everything needs to be taken to stand uh, stand on immediately, if that makes sense. Yeah, so <clears throat> let me ask you this. This might be unfair because it's off the cuff, but
0: um, so when you when you came to this church, you were basically my age. Let
1: uh, I me.
0: Mean, how old were you? I don't know.
1: 35? I think it was 37. Oh. Basically. Basically.
0: Um, so, as as one who, according to the Hebrew here, you're not just a mature man, you're now aged, being 60. <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> what, am now, I'm well into the word elder. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what? Uh, so, when you came... I want to be kind, uh, but there were not a lot of older men that you could have. I had none. So someone, let's say, who's taking a church at 35, 36 years
1: old, what would be your counsel to them? To- have, you have to have somebody outside that, that, that you can talk to. You just need to. I did. I had a couple of professors I could call. I had fellow seminarians who were my age or a little bit older um, that I could also talk to, and, and I did. Early on when things were just chaos here. Um, there were times where I would just give a guy a call and say, "Look, I got a situation. I know what I think I should do, <laughs> but before I do that, can I throw it out?" And sometimes they agreed. Sometimes they're like, "I I try it this way first, Matt." And and almost always it was a better way. Um, so it's just that that ability to kind of get um get some good outside counsel if you don't have people present. I think I mentioned to you Rhea bone You know, a lot, uh, young preachers become like Rhea Bohm they come into the position of leadership they're going to get it done right now because they think they know better and they gather around them these younger guys um, at my former church that where I, wor- I worked at in California uh, the pastor brought on his assistant who was the key guy and this guy was my age and he told him you get whoever you want in he just began to fire longtime pastors for, who had been there for 15, 20 years and bring in all men that were his age and younger. and And the cost was tremendous. You lost this age, you lost this wisdom, you lost this just that, that deeper flavor and maturity. And what you got is a lot of people who are really knew their theology good, but they had not yet learned how to apply that theology into day-to-day. So we literally had a guy who argued on staff that we should fire anyone who showed any, if they were overweight, because they were clearly gluttons. And they ordered me to fire them. <laughs> and I'm like, no. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not, I'm not doing this. And it created quite a bit of tension, but, you know, it was like, I appreciate what you're saying, but it's wrong. You you, you determined that skin caliper test is a sign of a heart. Um, and, you know, but again, that's just, he, he what he did was he gathered around people all like him. And, and, th- and then all of a sudden, he sounded very wise in his own eyes, but all the older people were not there. So I would say if a guy has to go to a church where there's not godly men present, that's a hard situation, but then he should find godly men that he can go and look to, and and he has to have the integrity to submit to them when they give him counsel, because if not, then he's just pretending to be a man seeking counsel, if that makes sense. Yep, Got
0: it. All right. So th- this is significant for uh, church polity, um, which is the fancy word for church government. Yeah, um, We see the earliest form of church government beyond apostles. Um, we see that they were what are being called elders. And they are mentioned, for example, in Acts 11.30, as well as uh, the council in Acts 15 alongside the apostles. Uh, we see them again in Acts 21.18 when Paul goes to Jerusalem. In the first book of the New Testament, meaning the first one that was written, right. uh, which is the book of James, uh, we see the we see these people again. So in James five fourteen, only the elders there are mentioned, uh, and they are the men that the church members were to go to. When you look at the earliest Gentile church, again, it is the elders and nothing else that are mentioned. Uh, Acts fourteen, also Acts twenty, for example. In fact, wherever. Paul and Barnabas went; they would establish churches, and then subsequently select elders. Yeah, Uh, never anything else. So they're not establishing apostles. Right. Yeah. Um, Even more noteworthy is that when Paul is leaving Ephesus to continue his labors, he calls uh, not the church members but the
1: elder. To himself so that he can instruct them. That's a key one I use when I hear guys like Mark Dever arguing that congregational rule is that it. it's like, yeah, you can point out that the church is involved. The church al- always is involved in like church discipline, tell it to the church and stuff. And they're extrapolating from that. Well, therefore, they're the final say. I'm like, no, I don't think that says that at all. But in that passage, when Paul is getting ready to leave, he doesn't go to the whole church and say, keep watch. He calls the elders right. and actually actually tells them to come to a different city where he's at, which is very interesting. You guys all travel to me. So he literally separates them out from the church and then gives them very clear instruction for the church. Yeah, yeah. And uh,
0: those two passages, they um, they figure strongly in how to select and identify elders as well. Uh, in First Peter, we see similar points. Uh, he addresses the elders as a distinct group. With distinct responsibilities, uh, in chapter five, verses one through four, and,
1: and we'll get into all those more detail. But the next term is overseer, episkopos, in the second. It's the second major term. Uh, it refers to church leaders, but it's in far second place. I mean, elders is the predominant term. Uh, it is in. Uh, It only occurs 19 times in the entire New Testament and five are in the entire Bible. That's including the Septuagint and only five times in the New Testament. Um, So think about that as compared to the complex systems in place in many denominations where you have bishops and archbishops and cardinals and everything else. So, it is used in the Old Testament. So, like Eliezer in Numbers 4, is given oversight that's the term of the tabernacle. So, he's basically the director of the facilities. Uh, In Judges 9, uh, it speaks of a lieutenant. In 2 Chronicles 34, it talks about men who acted as purchasing agents for the men who were to be building the tabernacle. Um, In the New Testament, the word is formed from the uh, root skep with the Uh, prefix epi, and it denotes the activity of looking at or paying attention to a person or thing, hence an overseer. So it it really is focusing on that that management idea of taking care of it. Um, The noun form is used five times. So in Acts 20, it says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. He's talking to the elders there. To care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. And so Paul exhorts these men to guard themselves and their flock, um, and he uses that shepherd metaphor to do that. Notice who made them, though. They were made overseers by God, um, so it wasn't just popular vote. Notice also that the purpose that they were made was to be overseers. I mean, what was the purpose that they were made to be overseers? It was to shepherd. That's the purpose of their oversight. Uh, Notice also the graveness of it. Uh, He says that these people that you're shepherding were obtained by his blood, and therefore it's his church. It's God's church, not their church. And finally, in verse 17 of chapter 20, it's the elders then who are addressed. And then still speaking to them, he also calls them overseers. And he also tells them the verbal to shepherd, which is our word for pastor. So all of the key terms that we're going to talk about are actually resident in that one passage. They're elders who are told that they are to oversee and Episcopos. what overseeing looks like is to shepherd. shepherd. <laughs> yeah, uh, so they're you're, right? you're really seeing that. So there's synonymous terms. Yeah.
0: Um but they're, they're really nuanced. Yeah, they're yeah, nuanced. Different they're aspects to that role. Right. Yeah. Uh, so then Philippians one one is another one. It says Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Jesus Christ who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons. So within this passage, of course, like many, there's <laughs> scholarly debate, uh, whether these refer to to the formal offices of overseer and deacon, or is it merely an informal manner of those who rule and serve. Only
1: scholars can yeah. it's like we're this gonna, is not hard.
0: We're gonna make a distinction because
1: someone we, needs to be need to publish a right. book. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Now there we would just say there's no contextual reason uh to see it in the informal sense and it makes little sense to see it that way, but that is often how scholarship works, um, trying to find something typically that's not really there. But we would simply say that the formal view is best and that there are two clear offices
1: in view. You've got the elder, and then you have the deacon. All right. And then the next one would be uh, First Timothy 3, 1 Timothy 3.1. It's a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it's a fine work he desires to do. And so now we see that it's also a position or office. It's a respectable position, and actually one that a person ought to be striving or longing for. In fact, that's a common thing I get from people: is uh, young men who are embarrassed to admit they'd like to be an elder. <laughs> I am like, actually, you shouldn't. That's not a mark of pride that you'd like to be an elder. Um, you know, and, and, but they're apologizing. I'm like, no, there's no pride there. It's a good work if you want to do it. Now, let's get you qualified to do it. You know, that's where the hard part is. Uh, so, it's a respectable position. Also, it's interesting because he uses the Gentile term here for overseer rather than that much more Jewish and Semitic term, elder. Also, he immediately defines, though, the character of those who may fill the position, He, he giving it a, a uniquely Christian flavor. A good point of caution for us as well. We, we don't take or refuse a man to his office due to his worldly skills. That's it, Just because he's a, a great money manager or uh, whatever, that doesn't matter. The desire to be an elder is a subjective experience. But Paul does not discount it. He does bring it into the objective realm by giving those clear qualifications.
0: Yeah, which also means that just because you do
1: desire it yeah. means,
0: you know, that's not just therefore
1: now you should be it. I s- actually said that two nights ago uh, in the class I was teaching and people asked a question. I said, one of the first things I ask a young person who is saying that they're, they like to be considered to be an elder and is that possible, I ask them to read through their qualifications and first... Timothy 3 and Titus, and then come back to me and tell me which ones are lacking. And it's interesting how many of the young people come back and say, I, I, I think I've got them all. <laughs> and I'm like, you do, huh? Yeah, yeah, I, I'm pretty well nailed them all. And I'm like, well, let me give you nine that I see in your life, and I don't know you that well. <laughs> and sure. that can be a very depressing moment for them, but, you know, he gives those because we we tend to think quite highly of ourselves, and then those qualifications come to bear, and it it gets brutal, yeah, yeah, so in in
0: Titus chapter one, verse seven, uh, we also have this from Paul. He says, "For the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed not quick tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, uh, meaning quick to fight, uh, nor fond of sordid gain, so here again, Paul uses this term episkopos. Uh, But in verse 5, and this is important, he tells Titus to appoint elders and then describes the elder in the following verses, um, which means that the elder and the overseer there, again,
1: are one in the same. Yeah, they're not separate offices. Then finally, and I think it's finally, in uh, 1 Peter 2.25, he says, for you were continually strained like sheep. But now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your soul. Now, that word guardian speaks of our Lord Jesus Christ, and it's the word that we also translate as overseer. Uh, So, Jesus is the ultimate shepherd. He's also the ultimate overseer of our hearts. Uh, that's good for any elder to remember that he's merely a steward of the flock of Christ's. Uh, overseer and shepherd are used also in Acts twenty twenty eight. We already made mention of that. Um, and so this oversight was one of loving care and concern rather than for power and personal gain. In other words, it emphasized duty rather than authority, even though authority's there. Sure. Um, and the verb is used twice— um...
0: In Hebrews twelve fifteen, there, it's there, but it has nothing to do with leadership. Rather, that there that the believer is to keep watch over his life. Right. Um, so it's not speaking of that formal office in that passage. In First Peter five two, uh, it says, "Shepherd the flock of God among you, uh, exercising oversight," um, which is a command, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. Um, however, the subject. Uh, is in verse 1, and it's the term elders. Uh, and, and so th- the main point of the passage is, is the imperative shepherd. So, so how does one shepherd the people of God as an elder? Well, it's done through exercising oversight,
1: but through a God-honoring motivation. But again, you have all three terms. So you have yeah. the elder is to shepherd, and the way he shepherds is to exercise oversight, which right. is why he's called at times an overseer. Yep. Um, all right, so that's enough for you to digest for this episode, and uh, so we're going to end it there. Uh, we're not done, though. Uh, the next episode, Lord willing, we will uh, deal with the other more extraneous terms that the Bible will use to talk about those who lead. Um, and, and so we have a couple of, or three specific conclusions, though, that we can begin to draw First, the complex organizational structures today are not found in the scripture. Uh, that doesn't mean that they're evil, but that they're not biblical either. Yeah. So we'll we'll talk about we like to make the distinction
0: between something that's biblical and then something that's anti-biblical. But then also
1: that non but
0: then there's that one that's just non-biblical. Yeah. It's neither overtly biblical or against it's just okay. The Bible. Uh, doesn't, sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, so, yeah, that, th- those complex structures would be, fall under that, I guess. Second, the term elder and overseer are not ever used to speak of different levels of authority or different offices. Um, they're just synonymous, right? Yeah. And then third, the focus is upon uh, governing the local church rather than some denomination. And I like that First Peter 1 because it says, shepherd the flock of God
1: among you right? Yeah. So, there's your people. And we're going to make a big point of that, that the the authority of the elder starts and ends with his local congregation. And, yeah. that's where it, and the moment you start trying to expand beyond that, um, I think a lot of problem right. comes in. Uh, so, we'll pick it up next time, Lord
0: willing, with the other terms used for church leadership, uh, but we think these will give you a full palette of meaning to what the what a pastor is to be and what he is therefore to do, and it will result in a likely a hard rebuke for what is seen in many churches today. But until then, uh, make sure to tune in, join the conversation. We'd love to hear your thoughts on elder and overseer and bishop, and don't forget to like, share, comment, rate, and review. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and tell a friend.